With impending lockouts rumoured in Melbourne, Stewie, what have we got this week? On this week's show, Steel Sidebottom gets hit for four. Is dumb the new smart in tennis? The Hobart Tassie something's officially part of the NBL. Who is Joey Chestnut and what has he done now? And a look at round five of the Injury Football League. Get it on! Well, Shui, as we start off every week, what caught your eye and what did you miss? Well, what caught my eye this week was actually a really cool article about a Melbourne-based artist called PK Air Designs, who in honour of the NBA restart in Disney World, my God, I'm crossing my fingers really hard on that happening now, (laughs) he's actually gone and created a Disney-based logo for all 30 of the NBA teams. It's really, really awesome if you get a chance to see it. Very creative. Very good. So I've I kind of created a bit of a short list of my top five. I'm using air quotes at the moment because there's a tie for fifth. So. Ooh, do tell. So in the tie for fifth, we've got the Boston Celtics with Mickey Mouse instead of the Leprechaun. We've got the Orlando Magic with Mickey's ears and hat from Fantasia on top of the ball. In fourth place, the Toronto Raptors with T-Rex from Toy Story instead of the Raptor. In third, we've got the Milwaukee Bucks with Bambi instead of the usual deer. The second one, this was a tough one too, but uh, number two is a, is a really, really cool one though. The Brooklyn Nets with Jack Skellington from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, that one's magnificent. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I've used his, his face instead of the ball. And I probably picked this one at, at number one because my daughter's going through a bit of a Winnie the Pooh phase, but the Memphis Grizzlies with Winnie the Pooh as the bear was my number one. So, uh, of course. Um, yeah, any that jumped out for you? Uh, they were all very good. The Brooklyn Nets is particularly good. But a couple of others I really liked was the Sacramento Kings with the Lion King yeah. uh, image there, which is really clever. The Seven Dwarves walking up the mountain for the Denver Nuggets logo is really cool. They're probably the ones that stick out the most for me. And also the Charlotte Hornets one where Dumbo's ears are kind of extended out much like the wings on the Hornet in that logo. So that's pretty cool too. They're, they're all pretty awesome, definitely. But so. whoever did it put a lot of time and effort in. It's very clever. Very, oh, very talented. Definitely. So what caught your eye? Well, I actually happened to stumble upon a bit of Top End T20. So after the Swans-Eagles game, I was flicking channels and on NITV, they were showing a bit of the top end T20 from Darwin. Unfortunately, the two teams playing were the cellar dwellers who weren't going to make the playoffs or the finals. So the standard wasn't spectacular. I think the run rate was at about five and over towards the end of the first innings. I didn't actually catch the very end. But, you know, there was a couple of highlights. But the funniest thing about this is that a mate was telling me the other day that apparently 600 to 700,000 Indians have been watching it. Yeah, right. Because they're so desperate for any cricket at all. So well, I yeah. can kind of understand. I'm actually a bit jealous that you saw cricket and I didn't. So. Hey, keep an eye on, on NITV, mate, because I think the finals start next week. So mm. there might the games might be a little bit okay. better too. The Channel 34, I think it is. Yeah, beautiful. I suppose in terms of what I missed, sadly it was Saturday Night Footy and specifically the continued resurgence of the dogs. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit later, but I'm honestly just loving the style of play from the Bullies right now and I'm so gutted that I missed watching it live. How about yourself? Uh, well, I'm going to be a bit cheeky here and stretch the bounds of, of what we mean. It's not really in the spirit of what you miss, but I missed something big last week. So when I was talking about the Elaine Baltimore Orioles hat in the owner's box episode of Seinfeld, were reflecting on wearing apparel in enemy territory and I actually forgot about the biggest one of all. Me and one of our best mates went we had the privilege of going to the fifth test at the Oval last year at the Ashes. And we met a young Aussie guy with a lot of hubris who uh, uh, managed to sneak us into the members. So we're actually wearing our full Aussie garb flags and all in the members at the Oval. So that was probably my most egregious enemy territory apparel story good lord so that's that's what i missed yeah that's what i missed still i would never go in an owner's box with enemy apparel though that's a that's a bridge too far yeah. but funnily enough there are actually quite a few aussies in members wearing aussie stuff so we weren't the only ones oh, i suppose that makes sense but yeah it's a that's a, it's a great story would have been great to be there speaking of great stories great news for the little tackers out there with community sport kicking off once again on the 1st of july and it just kind of made me reflect on when we played community sports Joey. yeah god i mean we go back to year six when we, we started playing basketball together so this is going back to 1994 uh, which is obviously a long time ago now, but the thought of not being able to get out there and, and play sports. I mean, yeah, we, we were playing up to three times a week right, on the same right. team all the way up to, to seniors. I think we were playing seniors when we were 15. Well, so. I remember when we were in year 10, we were playing under 16s. We were playing, you're right, I, was, I thought under 18s, but you're right, it was men's. Yep. So we were, we were playing under, under 16s, 
men's at Joondalup Wanneroo, and then at Hammersley we were playing in an under-16s comp too. Yep. So the thought of not being able to play, like if I was 13 now, the way I was back then, I would have been going absolutely mad without community sport. So that's terrific news. It's honestly, the thought of it's probably even more devastating than the thought of not getting to watch sport on TV. Well, of course, funnily enough, not only can, could they not play, but they had very little to watch until the footy came back too. And if they weren't footy fans, then they had nothing to watch. Or top end T20, of course. <laughs> this is true. Or, or marbles. <laughs> yeah, well, it's marbles, yes. So I suppose we'll have to move on now to another howler of a VAR decision in the EPL, this time involving Tottenham Hotspur. So it just seems like another week, another super controversial VAR-related incident. Um, at least this time it went in favour of Sheffield United, so <laughs> that's not all bad. But So about 30-odd minutes into the game, Sheffield's just gone up one nothing, and less than 90 seconds later, Harry Kane slots home what looks to be a quick equaliser after a pass from Lucas Mora. The referee, for some reason, sent it upstairs to check on a handball after the Sheffield player had played it off what looked like Mora's sort of upper arm slash shoulder region, and it fell straight to, to Kane, who's who scored the goal. Shoulder of God, sure. Well, it's yeah, I don't think it was quite as bad as bad as that, but uh, couldn't resist. No, you've got to. But uh, VAR Michael Oliver disallowed the goal. Something Sky Sports pundit Jamie Redknapp called one of the worst decisions I have ever seen. I've watched this a number of times. I honestly don't even know if it hit his arm. I'm pretty sure it struck his shoulder blade. Quite frankly, mm. Mora was actually fouled before the play as well, and. The ball struck him as he was falling over and trying to brace his fall. He wasn't even facing the player who tried to clear the ball. Not one Sheffield United player even looked at the referee trying to challenge or or looking for a decision or, or anything like that. So That's a head scratcher, isn't so it? So it really was. And so, I mean, what do you think about a system similar to cricket? You don't appeal, the play doesn't get reviewed. That's an interesting one, and it's one worth discussion. But I, I do like the booth review model, particularly in a sport like soccer where there's so few goals or even close goals that you could look at each potential goal for at least a minute. Well, I suppose it takes about a minute for them to get back to the middle for the restart, kind of similar to what they do in the uh, the AFL for the, the score reviews where the ball goes back to the middle potentially, or I think sometimes it stays in the in the goal square. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously it would have been overturned and disallowed the same way if it had gone upstairs. But yeah, this is a, a really, really disappointing one. And, and unfortunately in this week where we should be really celebrating Liverpool winning their title finally and celebrating the fact that they could potentially go on and actually break the record for the most amount of points in a season, we're talking again about the umpiring. Yeah, it's a shame that it does overshadow Liverpool celebrations, but I'm sure it won't overshadow them too much. The fans will be pretty happy. But I guess the other thing to remember is with this restart after really long breaks, not only are the players rusty, but the umpires and the reviewers and all the other staff are pretty rusty too, I guess. Yep. Very, very true. And there'll be an AFL one coming up a little bit later in the in the show oh, as well. There's at least one every week. Uh, in F1 news, Valtteri Bottas of Mercedes won the first F1 race of the season. The Austrian GP it was. Yeah, I didn't get to see a whole lot of this one. Uh, it was absolute carnage, though, from what I saw. I think nine cars didn't finish the race, unfortunately, including Daniel Ricciardo, who crashed out. But I must admit, as somebody who's not a huge F1 fan, I enjoy seeing the crashes, so I probably will go back and watch the <laughs> watch the highlights. But yeah, I've got some good friends who are absolutely massive F1 fans. You know, they go to multiple events every year, so I know there are a lot of people who are incredibly happy to see this back and, and going. So. Yeah. And the good thing about F1 uh, news is, Chewie, it gives me the excuse to tell you this story that I saw. I believe you may have seen it too. 89-year-old ex-Formula One head, Bernie Eccleston, has just had another baby with his third wife, Fabiana Flossie, who at 44 is 21 years younger than his eldest daughter. Yes, that's right. Deborah, who is 65 and the child of his first wife, Ivy Bamford, is 65 years older than his youngest child, it just about has to be some sort of record. It's, it sounds like a horrible maths question. <laughs> if Bernie left the station at one thirty-five and impregnated his wife at 3.35, then it's honestly... this. Did is, he take Viagra? No, sorry. <laughs> no, look, honestly, it's, um, it's almost mind-blowing that someone at 89 years old can still perform the act. So I'm, I'm actually quite, quite impressed that he's able to father a child at that age. So good on him for that. Quickly move on before we get yeah, into think, dangerous territory. I think we should. So uh, I suppose moving on to the NFL, Nathan, it looks like the Washington Redskins might finally be changing their name. 
Yeah, this is big news in the NFL. Big news, and there's a, there's a couple of little tidbits in the NFL I'll get to after this, but this is certainly the biggest news of them all. The Washington Redskins, obviously, it's a very culturally and racially insensitive name, and the owner, Dan Snyder, has been vehemently opposed to changing it for a long time, and he's been very resistant to do so. But it seems that the pressure is mounting, and the pressure is getting to a level that may be insurmountable now. Not only have sponsors like Nike jumped ship, but FedEx, who are actually an official partner of the team, have said that if the name doesn't change, that they'll jump off board. And obviously, any partner or sponsorship money is really important, particularly in these times when there's no ticket sales and that sort of thing. Granted, the games aren't being played yet, but there could be a a future loss of ticket sales coming up. For those that don't know, Dan Snyder's much like, I don't know, James Dolan in the NBA, or perhaps actually a better comparison would be Donald Sterling from the LA Clippers. And, and the reason I say this is, of course, Donald Sterling was forced out of the league and league ownership on moral grounds. Now, if Dan Snyder sticks to his guns like he has for so long, the league might have to push him out if he refuses to change the name. And in, in other name change news, the Cleveland Indians are another one where there's rumors that they'll change the name too. So this is really good news, of course. In today's day and age, we really shouldn't have team names that are basically caricaturing an entire race of peoples. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It's uh, it's long overdue. And unfortunately, we're now at a stage where people just can't go on pretending that they don't notice the racism. It, it is there. It is clear to see. I think... Well, it's funny you say that because I remember an episode of Arliss in the early 90s where they actually dealt with the Cleveland Indians, funnily enough. There's also a great South Park episode about the Washington Redskins. I remember that one, And yeah. the history. Like they, they, That's very well written. It's, very, it's, it's a clever episode, that one. It, it's been on the nose for a long time. And we can't say, oh, in 2020, even in the 90s they knew this was wrong willful ignorance has won the day for far too long finally wiser heads are starting to prevail so hopefully there's some good news there with the Redskins and then in some other news obviously not nearly as big but still important in the NFL world there's talk that the preseason will be shortened from four down to two games and there are rumors that the players union actually only want one preseason game and then the other interesting rumor coming out of the NFL at the moment is they're saying that the NFL if returns with fans in stadia they're saying that their fans will have to sign liability waivers in case they catch COVID while at the game this is just a such a crazy year that we we live in and I'll tell you what I hope that in 20, 30 years' time, we can look back on this with kids and to just talk them through how crazy it was and you know, just hope that it, it sort of goes away. But yeah, you've, you know, waivers now. This is just... I know. The, the thought of signing a waiver to go to a sports match is pretty funny, isn't it? But this insane. is the world we live in. It's insane. You, you think of waivers, you think of things like running with the bulls or yes, yeah, the yeah. likes of that. You don't think of going and sitting in a chair, drinking beers and eating hot dogs and popcorn. This is very true. Speaking of running of the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls logo of the changed Disney logos was a clever one. Oh, yes, it was. In uh, soccer news in Australia, the A-League is returning. This is quite an interesting one. So the A-League sits fairly parallel to the NBL as far as schedule is concerned. While the NBL pushed through and finished their season, the A-League went on an extended hiatus. But finally, they're coming back. Practices have already restarted. That happened just under a week ago on the 1st of July. The first of the matches will happen on August 15th. And then the finals are slated with the first semis August 19th and 20th and then the championship deciding grand final on August 23 in New South Welsh hubs. It's a really interesting one, especially when you consider, I think we had 127 cases out of New South Wales today and a couple of deaths. And Mm. this this is one that could change very, very quickly. We've also got to remember that there is also a New Zealand team to think about. We've we've also got to remember the Wellington Phoenix will be involved with this as well, but... This is something that I really think the A-League need to consider possibly moving it up the coast. I don't know what things are like in Newcastle, but you potentially need to think about moving it out of Sydney at least because there are so many cases coming through and it it really poses the question, if I'm one of the players, I'm coming back for five games and, and finals and I don't think my team's really a huge chance of making it. Do I risk it? I mean, you couldn't blame people anyway for not coming back for whatever reason, particularly if they have family members that are vulnerable and things like that. But yeah, if you're not going to make the finals, why would you bother? Mm. But but also, why would you bother with New South Wales? Why not go to the Territory, for example, or over here in WA where there's much fewer cases? Yep. New South Wales is... I mean, they've shut their borders with Victoria today, but they're much closer to... The epicentre, yeah, yeah, basically, yep. yeah. It's, yeah. I must admit, the Northern Territory is one I've been a big fan of, certainly. 
they don't have any teams up there, so there's no favoritism. You're not giving a team mm. an unfair advantage the way, the way that you do. Obviously, a lot of the teams are based out of New South Wales, so those teams straight away get some form of an advantage being in their home state, at least. So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not against the idea of moving them up to the Northern Territory, and it would be it'd be great for Darwin. Obviously, it wouldn't be great if some of the cases got up there because they have done an amazing yeah, job of containing have. it. They but, have. Um, I guess we'll see what the league... This is one we'll watch with with bated breath over the next week or two and see what happens. And then finally, some tennis news, Chewy. Oh, honestly, is is the new prerequisite to play ATP tennis having the IQ of a net post? (laughs) I I did not think that things could get much dumber than the Adria Tour, but this week we head over to sunny Atlanta, Georgia, where Merca's own John Isner decided to organise the All-American Team Cup, a multi-day exhibition featuring, not surprisingly due to the incredibly stupid name... All American players being held in a country fucking riddled with coronavirus. (laughs) (sighs) And shock horror, it took less than one day for one of the players, world number 81 Francis TFO, to report that he had tested positive. Of course. And this is in stadiums with around 450 fans in the stands. I mean, thank goodness that wasn't enough to shut the exhibition down as it continued the very next day. Oh, dear. My God. I think the thing that makes this all worse, though, is that after beating Sam Querrey on day one, TFO actually said in an interview with commentators, I haven't been feeling the best the last couple of days. (laughs) It, It is absolutely mind-boggling stupidity. And it begs the question, is this actually worse than the Adria Tour given the precedent? Or does the fact that we didn't have to see the players dancing topless to Fergie's A Little Party Never Killed Nobody (laughs) make it a little more okay? And before you answer, yes, I did research that song after last week. I've been very vocal over the years about my opinion that Fergie ruined the Black Eyed Peas. They were never the same after she joined them, but... This is actually a pretty catchy tune, I must admit. Anyway, I'm off, off topic. Well, I'll disagree with you on tune. <laughs> and, and ironically, with the Black Eyed Peas, whenever I hear the song, Tonight's Gonna Be a Good Night, it often actually ruins my night. But uh, no, it doesn't ruin it, but it's, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I don't know. It, in one way, well, there was no punishment for Adria. And I don't know if, if the ITP has said getting coronavirus is punishment enough. Um, is this the idiotic tennis that's right. Yes, <laughs> yeah, okay. the ATP. Sorry. That's yes. all right. Yeah. No. Close you, enough. No, thank you for for <laughs> correcting me there. I think it should be changed to the ITP. Actually. Yeah. And may as well just call it the Corona Cup or the COVID nineteen. <laughs> COVID Cup. Yeah. COVID nineteen. The COVID Cup actually has a nice ring to it. The COVID it Cup. Sound too bad. Yeah. Maybe we should have called our, our podcast the COVID Cup. But um, I don't know what's going on. I think you're right. That quote that we talked about from the New York Times it never seemed more relevant. That they just. What are they doing in the mm. tennis world? What and the, are they doing? And there's a lot of people... I mean, looking at what John Isner was sort of saying before the tournament, he was talking about how if everybody just wants to stay in their homes and avoid this for the rest of their lives, let them do that, but we're going to get out and play the sport we love. It just doesn't uh, make sense. I mean, that, that, that is an interesting one. You do have to draw the line somewhere, and you also have to say life will go on somewhere as well at some point. But, yeah, you think that they it's could... too early for that. Yeah, you think they could learn some, some lessons. But as we know, America is handling this very differently to many other countries. And we're worried about potentially 200 cases a day here, which is kind of with the problems in Victoria. But there's reports that out of America... Okay, granted, they have more than 10 times our population. But there's talks of America getting up to 50,000 to 100,000 cases a day. There are no cases... Well, <laughs> we won't go there. Some, sometimes denial was the, the best course of action. <laughs> we anyway, before we move on, can I also just quickly add that the person writing the updates at tennisuptodate.com writes like a five-year-old who speaks English as a third language. End rant. Mm, maybe he's the speechwriter of the person you previously alluded to. No. I think we should move on to basketball now before yeah, we say decision. something we regret. Good decisions, Stewie. Well, actually, some good news in the basketball world. So the NBL's eyeing off a December 3rd return with a mid-April conclusion. So that's basically the normal season pushback a couple of months. So the NBL's been fairly unaffected apart from the grand final series, but the NBL's actually seemed to handle things quite well. So that's really great news. And in greater news... Basketball is making a comeback in Tassie. It is. Let me start by saying that I'm so happy that this is official. It could well prove to be a logistical pain in the ass for the Wildcats. I'm not sure if Virgin will still be operating a direct Perth to Hobart flight, but I just love the fact that Hobart is back on the map for the first time since 1996. 
Well, it's been 25 years nearly, and it will be by the time they, they get in. Yeah, it's tremendous news. I remember as a kid watching uh, young Anthony Stewart playing for them before he came over and won a championship with the Wildcats. Uh, Calvin, Calvin Talford. Talford. One of the best dunkers of, of all time. And no arguments here. Donald Whiteside, Jim Havrilla, the gorilla. Steve Carfino started his career there ah, as well. Yes, yep. he did too. Yep. Good point. Yep. Good point. Yep. So some good history there. And speaking of history... Unfortunately, rumblings are that they're not going to keep the name The Devils, which is a real shame in my opinion. I can't understand this. This is probably going to end up as another one like the South East Melbourne Phoenix where the name doesn't really make sense. Sydney Spirit, uh, Melbourne United. There's been some pretty average names in the NBL over the last little while. Yeah, I, I shudder to think whether this is going to be something like the Hobart Tassie Depressions or, <laughs> or something, something ridiculous that just doesn't make any sense at all. This is one where I feel like they potentially have missed a trick. If you think about the retro jersey look, so many of these leagues run these awesome retro rounds where teams will wear jerseys from yep. the 90s. And the, the Tassie Devils had one of the best jerseys of all time in the NBL. So this would have been a great one to bring back with the short shorts, you know, the David, <laughs> the David Close short shorts. So, Another Wildcat as well at one, yeah. one stage. And then there was the Looney Tunes round, Stewie, with Taz. Yeah, exactly. It writes itself. It really does. It's. I. I just hope that enough people sign petitions to get this back because while the league needs a team in Hobart, they need it to be the Devils. They really do. The Tasmanian NBL team will be entering the league for the 21-22 season, so not next season but the one after, after the state government agreed to provide nearly $70 million for an upgrade of the Derwent Entertainment Centre. And this includes 20 mil for community sport as well with a four-court multi-sport facility. So great news not only for the NBL, but also for Hobart and the Derwin Entertainment Centre and the and, people around. And the kids, exactly. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not happy until next year, but whoever's in charge of this, they need to start looking at some of the local talent they can bring in. Chris Goulding's a great place to start. Uh, yes, absolutely. He's, he's a Hobart boy, so yep. I'm sure he would love to come home. There's a plethora of college players. The, the first guy that jumps out is Tanner Krebs. He's a, a long-range marksman. He's been playing at St. Mary's now for a, a little while. The college that Aussies go to? It pretty much is the feeder college, definitely. Yep. There's a bunch of secondary guys. Callum Barker, Anderson Clark, Jack Stanwicks, Elliot Warren. A real interesting Smokey, though, could actually be Hugh Greenwood. Oh, yeah. So if you re- I don't know if you remember, but he signed with the Perth Wildcats in 2015 before he left basketball to play for the Crows. Now, I've seen a package of his time at the University of New Mexico, and he actually has a real hint of Chris Goulding to him. He's really good coming around screens, great jump shot, uh, really quick release as well, which is uh, which is good. He's apparently always spoken about his desire to come and play basketball in front of home fans in Tassie, so I think they might as well make the call. Absolutely. No harm. Absolutely. And there'd be a few teams a bit worried that they might lose a good bench player or a role player to a Tassie team, but good for the league. And we, we don't want them to be too crap out of the gates. So no. if they can get a few good players... That'd be really wonderful. Well, another one that I read about, which would be quite interesting, is someone like a Cam Glennon. Why not? You think back to a few years ago when you know he was with the Cairns Taipans and he was a consistent 15 to 20 point scorer. He's now moved down to Brisbane where he's coming off the bench. He's a real secondary option. He might be eyeing up a move. Oh, if he's wise, he will move because they just they don't seem to use him properly. Lamanus just doesn't seem to rate him. No. So, yeah, look, either way, it's going to be really, really fun. But I think you make a good point. A lot of these teams will be looking to, to sign these extended contracts for some of these role players, get them locked in now so yes. they don't jump ship. Yes. Uh, a couple of things I guess we should probably reflect on last week. Gorgian, okay, two handfuls of championships was maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but six championships is the record for the league. And he also had an incredible 70% winning percentage. Well, it's, it's two handfuls if you're an emu. <laughs> that's probably the way to look at it yeah so, I should have pretended that's what I was going with but no he has a, an amazing record and uh, yeah it, he's another one it will be great to have back in the league before we move on to NBA Stewie I want one more NBL team name where they missed a trick so remember after the Newcastle Falcons folded and there was a bit of time away and then they brought in the Hunter Pirates yes they should oh, have the been the Hunter Gatherers the Hunter Gatherers yes. <laughs> I banged that drum loud and, and long for many many a, yeah. a week after that but yeah. sadly no no well, Hunter Gatherers there's some other great teams we could bring back though the Gold Coast Rollers would be a good one Canberra Cannons Canberra Cannons foundation team yep there's uh, there's some really great ones out there that would be great to see and the, uh, the Glenelg Goats <laughs> who are not a real team but no but they should but be they should be 
So the good news of the NBL to maybe some troubling news to the NBA and a lot of the news out of America is troubling because of the cases and, and what's going on over there. But there's more players dropping out, more players testing positive. Both the Bucks and Kings have shut down their facilities due to worries about players testing positive. But Brooklyn Nets have been hit particularly hard. Obviously, okay, Kyrie Irving and Durant had injury problems aside from COVID, but Durant also caught COVID. But then there was also DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, and uh, Wilson Chandler, Chandler, that's the one. So their team's been a little decimated, and and it it kind of begs the question of what happens when you lose so many players. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny you say this. I mean, we could dedicate, and we probably will dedicate an entire show sometime to incidents where teams have either dropped down to five players or have played with less than five it's there's a fascinating series of stories which I'm there dying, really is. dying to share with with you and everyone there really is but yeah I mean the, the Brooklyn Nets I guess would have to get out on the free agent market and bring a couple of guys in to fill those gaps but Dinwiddie is a really really big out for them I think he was averaging over 20 points a game for the Nets this season in Kyrie Irving's absence I guess so yeah there's um there's a lot of there's a lot of issues I guess for the Nets and There could be more players that drop out as a result, thinking, what's the point? We're not going to be competitive, so we may as well just stay at home. Absolutely. And speaking of staying at home, there were rumours that perhaps the eight teams that didn't make the cut will be in a bubble of their own, not staying at home. There's talk of a bubble in Chicago for the eight remaining teams to have a little bit of a, well, I guess if we want to use college basketball parlance, the NCAA tournament is the 22 and the NIT is the eight. Yeah, this this is an interesting one. I believe that we have differing opinions on this, but I'm actually kind of excited about this for, I suppose, a couple of reasons. The the absolute number one reason, though, is a chance for potentially the Atlanta Hawks to play, and, and hopefully somebody can talk Vince Carter into finishing his oh. career properly. <laughs> it just would yep. be such a shame for it to go out in the whimper that it did. I've said this a number of times. And, oh, I know, don't disagree on that point. I definitely do not disagree. Yeah, so so getting to see some of these younger teams, you know, the the Chicago Bulls are another one. The New York Knicks, you know, RJ Barrett will be an all-NBA first-team rookie team anyway. Um, So he's another one I'd I'd love to see. So, yeah, I'm certainly all all for the idea. Chicago is maybe not the greatest idea in terms of of destinations. I would like to see them maybe go somewhere. Canada? Canada's potentially North an option. Of the yeah, it's de- that's definitely an option. Even some of these states that maybe have much lower populations or, or maybe a lot lower cases. Alaska? Alaska could be a really cool I, one. You know, it doesn't have to be an NBA town. But to be so, honest... So you could have said, Juno, it doesn't have to be. Oh, so we could have put, put a cheeky Alaskan pun in there. Oh, sure. Your geographical knowledge is far better than mine. But I don't disagree with you on the Vince Carter stuff. Absolutely, I'd love to see him play. And if it does come back, I, I will watch a little bit here and there. And the NBA really has an opportunity to maximize their viewership by having games on every single day. The rumor is that they'll come back in September, which is obviously later than the restart of the other. Uh, I can see the logic in the sense that they're worried about these teams who are already not as good because they didn't make the cut even for a potential play-in tournament. So they're clearly the worst teams in the competition. You can understand why they would want to make sure that steel was sharpening steel, so to speak, or perhaps in this case, aluminium sharpening aluminium. What's worse? What's Um, worse than aluminium? (laughs) So you can understand why they'd want these guys to have a bit of game time experience with such a long layoff between the break and then whenever the next season starts, possibly Christmas time. But if they're really serious about player safety and health, should they really be coming back? There's not really anything to play for. It's it's a fair point. Can I say maybe it's aluminium foil <laughs> instead? But no, look, it's it's a good point. I, I mean, I guess the Golden State Warriors probably wouldn't be sending Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, most of their players really. So we could find that those eight teams end up sending, I suppose, half rosters, and it just kind of ends up more like a summer league competition, which eh, probably wouldn't watch that. Can you imagine being a fan of a really crappy team? And their best player does their knee or something in this Chicago in, in bubble. In a pointless tournament. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I can understand that. It's it's just, I, I question, the NBA's done a lot right. And in many ways, they've led the way on return to sport in America. This is maybe a misstep for mine. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, this is a, a kind of a creepy coincidence. I had a notification on Facebook Memories yesterday from 2017. I'd just come back from a European holiday and I was up at one o'clock in the morning. My sleep cycle was absolutely stuffed. And I was actually watching the July 4th hot dog eating contest. And sure enough, 
I was looking on news.com.au and I see a story about Joey Chestnut, Uh, the undisputed world champion of gluttony, defending his title at Nathan's famous July 4th hot dog eating contest in Coney Island. You didn't tell me you had a hot dog eating contest. No, No, it's not me, mate. It's not not me, no. Anyways, in 10 minutes, he downed a ridiculous 75 full hot dogs and buns or one every eight seconds for an entire 10 minutes. Second place, 42 Bloody hell. Bloody hell, all right. And the, the female winner, Mika Sudo, uh, repeated as the women's champion, making a very impressive 48 and a half hot dogs. So that would have actually come second if it was an open competition with everyone. Yeah. The, uh, the, the crazy part, though, was I actually read a quote from Joey Chestnut where he finished up and said, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit bloated, but I could still eat more. <laughs> well, he is the 13th time champion. Uh, this is the best bit about it. It's called the mustard yellow belt. So black belt in <laughs> mustard yellow belt. black belt in the martial arts and mustard yellow belt in competitive hot that dog eating. Amazing. Have you ever actually watched this? Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's I, I just told you I watched it three years ago. Oh. It, was, it was horrible. Oh. That, that was what got me to go back to bed because I thought I, I can't do this. I'm going to be sick. It seems like a weird thing to be competing in COVID times, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. Well, they had the the helpers handing them the buns and, and that in gloves and everyone was doing as much as they could. There was no crowd. Everyone was socially distancing. Yeah, so just... instead of on the New Jersey shore or wherever it is, uh, they yeah. had it in a factory, I think. Yeah, it was, it was actually, funnily enough, it was in a little back room yeah. at, at this, this Nathan's Eatery or whatever the hell it is. But it's, yeah. 33-dog margin of victory. That's bloody hell worthy, Shuey. I can That's totally understand really is. why you chose that. Bloody hell. Well, let's get into the AFL. Before we get into our roundup of games, some big news across the board, and, and the news overshadows the games invariably in these COVID times, and that's not all that surprising. Here's a question for you, Stewie. In 2020, is this finally the year that we have a true national competition? And the reason I ask that is because next week will be the first time ever that not one team will play in their home state. I did see that. That is a, an incredible, incredible thing. I actually double-checked the fixtures because I wanted to make sure... I did too. That, ...that you hadn't made a, made an error when you told me that because it just... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. And you know what, though? It's, it's great. This is where we start seeing the Victorian teams that have been in Victoria for the, the last four weeks and some of the teams like us that have been stuck up on the Gold Coast for, for four weeks as well, starting to sort of move around a little bit more. But yeah, it, I think this is finally the first time that we can say that it is properly, properly national. And that's, I guess, the silver lining of, of a very difficult situation. But things are really getting out of control in Victoria by Australian standards. Obviously, I talked about America being way worse, but the numbers are exploding in Melbourne. And there's some weird things going on in Melbourne. So I don't know if you heard the story about the security guards that were supposedly meant to be monitoring or making sure people were staying in lockup. And they, oh, were, they were monitoring. Yeah, they, right. were, they were bonking them. So I think someone needs to tell them the me- their memo is PPE. Not PP. <laughs> Good lord! Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't help uh, help that one. But uh, players just escaped in the nick of time. Really, being told early last week that they needed to pack up and get out in the really the heartland, dodgy suburbs, and then it's been extended to all of Melbourne. And and I heard on the radio today there are rumours that all of Melbourne may go into lockdown in similar fashion to what we've seen in places like Italy and other countries earlier in the year. It almost needs to happen, unfortunately. It, it has well and truly got out of hand. I mean, the thing is, the players that are escaping that, it's not like they're getting to go free range. I heard a report earlier about the four teams that are heading up to the Gold Coast. They are allowed out for games. They're allowed out for training. The rest of the time, they're basically on lockdown in their hotels as well. So it's not like they're getting to go out for surfs and, and swims at the beach or going to play golf or anything like that. They are very, very much in quarantine still. So it's better than, than where they, they were, but it's not amazing. Well, they're probably lucky to even be let into Queensland because they wouldn't have let that happen in WA. They'll be coming to WA, a couple of them. Geelong and Collingwood will be coming after that. Well, Richmond got turned away all of a week ago. Yeah, well, and that's why the fixtures changed. And I don't think we can look beyond a week because things are changing so yeah. often that we can look at next week's games, but we can't make any predictions. I'm still going to look ahead, though. Well, I, I, still, I still think your prediction of dogs being five and two after seven could be true. It just might be against might be different two, opposition. Yeah, different teams. That's very true. Yeah. In other big news in the AFL, the woes 
of the Collingwood football team. Several stories here, one we won't talk about in, in great detail, but Steel Sidebottom got a four-game suspension after being found naked and confused in the streets of Victoria, allegedly being driven home by the police. He'd gone to see Jeremy Howe, and we talked about that horrible injury. You could understand why a bloke could want to see his teammate who suffered a terrible injury like that. But also, on another occasion, he went to Daniel Wells' house. Uh, Daniel Wells, former player and staff member of the team. Someone who wasn't a person he was allowed to see under the rules of... He actually took an Uber there. Yeah, well, that's right too, yes. Which is another breach of the rules. So, this is an interesting one. Do you think the suspension was adequate, first off, let's say? Look, I think four weeks is enough, especially in a shortened season like this. I think you're talking about about a quarter of the remaining games, or more than that, even. So, I think the four weeks is is enough. It's the next one. I think will be if someone else does that now, it's going to be huge. You're probably well, talking the rest of the season. But this is a good point. So, speaking of precedent, and should precedent be followed? So, we've had kind of suspended sentences, or we've had one match bans. This, you could argue, were two different indiscretions. So maybe you could say two weeks based on precedent. But I agree. I think you've got to ramp up the punishments. And the punishments need to get worse and worse as time goes on to show that we're serious about this. It's got to be a deterrent. There has to be a deterrent. I absolutely agree. The, The other really interesting thing that's come out of this was the Eddie Maguire hypocrisy. So earlier in the season, when a couple of Dockers players got caught at a house when they shouldn't have been, when we were in a little lockdown here. More of a precautionary lockdown at the beginning of of the real problems. He said that at that stage, because it was so important to get the game up and running again, players should be given a $100,000 fine and suspended for the entire season. Now, he's backtracked that big time now that one of his players has come under fire. First of all, from memory, that Dockers uh, situation, it wasn't a party. It was only five or six people. Yeah, there was a handful. Yeah. Yep. So, so it's interesting that he fudges the facts on that one. But really, Eddie Maguire hypocrisy and conflict of interest comes up every year. Like they go together. In one way or another. <laughs> Should he be broadcasting and president of Collingwood Football Club? Yeah, this is a, a, a real conversation that we've had a number of times over the years and I still come back to the fact that whilst he his knowledge of the game is obviously fantastic and his his understanding of you know team setups and and how how certain teams go about winning games, I, I just don't think that he yeah I think it is too much of a conflict of interest. You you just you can't do both, or you certainly shouldn't be commentating on your own teams at least. This is the thing. I mean, I don't even think he's that good a broadcaster to be honest. He's not bad. He's not, he's not bad, he's, but he's not... He's, he's, no Dennis, not, he's no Dennis Cometti or Bruce McAvaney. Yeah, he's not world-beating. So why do they need to employ him? And even, you know, watching him on Footy Classified and stuff, he dominates the show. He butts in when he probably shouldn't. But speaking of, of Footy Classified... He's no, he's no Wayne Carey. Well, <laughs> I might have to revise that comment, by <laughs> the way. He was actually pretty, pretty good well, last I've, week, I've got to say, I think my memory of Wayne Carey is, is when Dennis was com- commentating too, speaking <sighs> of Dennis, because Dennis and Bruce kind of talked a lot more than I would sit uh, back and watch Bruce and, and just, Brian do. I would listen to those two. So I think Wayne's had to pull a bit more weight since the, the, since the Den left. But speaking of footy classified, it was really interesting last week, and I'm glad he did, but Lloydie took him to task a little bit on this because... He was clearly wearing his Collingwood president's hat when he brought up the case. He was clearly downplaying it. He seemed to think that the suspension was heavy-handed. And Lloydie said, well, hold on, you're changing your tune now that it's a different team. And good on him for that. Because really, I'm sorry, Eddie, you are a hypocrite. You you can say what you like, but what's good for the goose should be good for the gander. Hi, Eddie. (laughs) I don't think he's going to listen. No, he's (laughs) he's not listening. Uh, If he did, that would be great. Yeah, well, you know. Well, actually, wouldn't be so great now, considering. But no, it's um, it, it is very interesting how quickly someone's tune changes. And I, I guess, when you're talking about such a a key member of their midfield in in steel side bottom, he probably just doesn't want to miss him for four games, especially considering how the Pies are playing right now. Which will well, he's a part of the leadership group too, and this is maybe why you you could argue that he deserved a, a bigger suspension than two games, for example, and four. Because he's a vice-captain of the team. He's been around a long time. He's a very important player, you're right. And look, we won't go into too much detail on the Jordan Degoe sexual assault allegations. Anything before the court will be very careful about. I guess all I say is hopefully justice prevails and the right 
outcome happens based on whatever did happen. But it just adds to the Collingwood woes. And speaking in a pure football sense, a team that was looking like potentially premiership favourites could be in a lot of trouble now. And in a season where mental strength and resilience could be what separates the winner from the others, this is going to really, really test them. Mm. So roundup of the games. Uh, In the first game of the round... We had the Blues fall back to earth a little bit at the hands of the St Kilda Saints in a 73-55 to defeat at Marvel Stadium. The funniest or most interesting story out of this, it made Cade Simpson the biggest loser in AFL history. He moves to the top of the VFL-AFL all-time losers list with 208 losses in 330 games. To save you the maths, that means he's won about 37% of the games he's played in. I knew that. And he goes into a tie with former Fitzroy Lion Kevin Murray. In revised fixturing, the Blues have the Dogs next week, so there's a bloody good chance he gets top of that list alone next week. 100%. The Saints just yeah continue to go marching in, don't they? Who would have had the Saints in the top four after after five rounds? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a fair point. I, I, I saw bits and pieces of this game, and kind of as it got a little bit closer, I'd keep a closer eye on it, and then as it blew out a little bit more, I'd kind of step away so I didn't see a hell of a lot of it but a comfortable win and as I say the Blues back down to earth a little bit well you mentioned last week or maybe the week before about the Saints being relevant every 10 years or so (laughs) if I'm not mistaken the last time they were relevant was 10 years ago they did make the finals in 2011 but your Swans actually knocked them out in an elimination final first week so Jack Steele honestly took home the three Brownlow votes for me 23 touches nine tackles in a attacking role with Paddy Cripps Cripps still managed 22 touches, but he just didn't have an impact on the game early on. And uh, when St Kilda were kind of blowing them away, Jack Billings, Nick Caulfield, Seb Ross, they were all superb. Absolutely nothing really in the team numbers to suggest how one-sided this game actually was. But if you look at the Carlton forwards, you've got Harry McKay, or Mackay, four touches, no scoring shots. Mitch McGovern, six touches, no scoring shots. Levi Casbolt, six touches, no scoring shots. Eddie Betts, seven touches, one goal. Mm. They had no impact on the game at all, while St Kilda got multiples from Dan Butler, Jaron Geary, and Max King. So it was a, it was a really solid performance by this, by the Saints. Probably Dan Hanabry was the, uh, the sour note. He saw the beginning of the soft tissue problems this round with a hamstring, so not particularly great, obviously, from that point of view. But You never want to lose a midfielder. You never do. So I guess my question, should we calm down a bit on the Saints, given that they caught the Bulldogs in Richmond early while those two teams weren't playing particularly well? Or does the fact that they currently have Frio and Adelaide over the next two weeks mean that their timing could actually see them play some meaningful finals this year? You could just about pencil those wins in, surely. Probably. The Saints have looked good enough to beat those teams. Adelaide look woeful, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Hey, why not? It's been 10 years, as you say, so why not march in, Saints? It's, it's and the, good on them, too. I'd, the like, I'd, like to see them, I'd like to see both these teams, the Blues as well. They've had enough pain over a while. So, But I think the other thing is... The form lines. I mean, it's anyone's oh. guess, isn't it? It, it? Like I say, it really will be whoever is the most mentally tough and most mentally resilient that will probably come out victors in this season. We started the round with half the competition on two and two. So why not the Saints? In our Friday night fixture, the Magpies lost Steel side bottom but replaced him with Adam Trelaw. And it's very rare that a team can lose the class of a side bottom and bring in a Trelaw. So they were, they were lucky to do so, but not lucky in the game because they lost to the Bombers 63-48 to after starting well but finishing quite poorly. Yeah, this was the Anzac Day match and boy did it have an Anzac feel to it for at least the first half. Collingwood absolutely jumped them out of the guns here. At one stage in the first quarter, the Pies actually led the possessions 43-7. to Ten minutes into the game, honestly, it looked like Collingwood were just dishing up a hiding, really. And the rains came too, which in wet weather footy, if you get a good lead early, you, you can often just carry you home. Hold on to a lead, yeah. exactly. So, but no, really, really great to see Essendon lift when they needed to. This game actually really reminded me of the 2018 Grand Final when it felt like Collingwood had West Coast at breaking point and they just let their foot off the throat enough to get the Eagles back into it. And the same kind of happened here. And geez, how much did the pressure lift in the second quarter? It, from there, it just it, honestly, it seemed like the Bombers were hungrier. Um, the opening possession of the third quarter was probably the best passage of play I've seen from Essendon all season. Jakey Stringer pushed into the midfield, got the clearance, pushed a little kick forward. There was a little mini turnover, but Saad then blocks the kick. Then you've got Braden Ham, Dylan Shield, and Will Snelling just linking up by hand straight onto the chest of Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, who goals. It was, it was a 
just a really, really great link up, really good pressure, moving the ball forward. It was it was fantastic. So and the third quarter for me in, in its entirety was just it was a statement quarter by Essendon. Collingwood just gave them everything they had. But honestly, all time worst man by Dylan Shield <laughs> tore up the midfield. He just tore it up. And Jakey Stringer played like the X Factor we know he can be, unfortunately. Not all good news. We, we know how that went, but yes. uh, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, the, their pressure was just immense. I talk about this stat a lot, but 20 to 10 tackles inside 50. Forward that, pressure is so important in modern footy. Super huge. I love the work of Andrew Phillips against Brody Grundy. He neutralized and in a lot of cases actually won the contest there. I really like the look of Will Snelling. Really great run. Loves taking the game on, which is fantastic. Jordan Ridley, tough in the contest. The Bombers are really starting to look good, that 3-1. and one. And, and from there, unfortunately, it just sucked to see Jakey Stringer hobble off with what looks like a three-month It does, doesn't it? Yeah, just, with, with all that momentum. It's heartbreaking. So. Yeah. I mean, there were some good players. Adam Trelaw was fantastic, and Braden Maynard was as well. But a lot of questions from them. I guess we'll start off. I mean, what do you think about the Jordan Degoe score review incident in the third quarter? Oh, look, I think it would have hit the post anyway. You do? Okay. I do. The, judging by the trajectory of the ball, and I don't know the rule if, if what happens if it hits the umpire, but the umpire was pretty much standing next to the post. In my opinion, it would have been a point anyway. Not the whole ball hadn't crossed the line. I think it would have hit the post. It's probably a fair call. It's it's kind of interesting. And for those of you who think that it, that it was a, a, going to be a goal, there was that hideous, dangerous tackle decision early in the fourth that probably squared the ledger anyway, so... Probably my last big one, though. Did Collingwood persist with Mason Cox on anything other than perfect weather? Yeah, two, that's two, a good question. Two possessions and one mark. He had eight touches last week. He doesn't look, look like any sort of a threat unless it's perfectly sunny. No, I agree. Play him out of the goal square on a sunny day, but otherwise, yep. don't play him. Yeah, that seems to be a wise decision. Sorry, Pat McAfee. Yes, apologies. Um, random little fact to finish this off. Collingwood had the first eight players alphabetically by surname in this match. <laughs> <laughs> That's as good a reason as any to move on. Exactly. In in the battle of our clubs, Chewy. Your the, turn to sign. Yeah, open. no. Yeah. Well, I did pick it. Let's. Oh, let's of course. I said that we'd play you into form. Uh, it helps to have a bloke over, you know, six foot one. The Eagles defeated the Swans seventy-seven to forty-three at Metricon. Even though it wasn't at the SCG, we couldn't get a win. Yeah, look, firstly, I just want to apologise to Jack Redden for last week. He hasn't had a great season, but I accused him of being poor when he was actually in a tagging role against Robbie Gray, so apologies to him for that. I've got to say, he was very lucky to not be suspended for a lengthy period himself. Well, this is actually one of the questions I'm going to post to you, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute okay, as well. But, okay. but this this really had a similar feel to the Collingwood-Essendon game. The Swans jumped out of the blocks early. They were just flying through the corridor right from the opening bounce. And then combining that with some pretty basic skill errors from guys like Andrew Gaff and Luke Shuey, it actually looked like we were uh, we were going to get done again. But uh, like the Bombers, boy, did we lift in the late first quarter and early second quarter. It well, was... the problem was that we didn't maximize our momentum in the first quarter. And so mm-hmm. even though we were playing much better in the first quarter, the scoreline was virtually the same at, at quarter time. Yeah, very, very true. So... Uh, look, it was. It actually, funnily enough, looked like our resurgence came when Luke Shuey did his hamstring, which is not ideal. But teams will often lift when a player gets injured, though. Mm, true, but yeah, just uh, some huge turnaround performances. Elliot Yo was fantastic. Tim Kelly played well. Shannon Hearn looks a little bit quicker as well, which which was great. <laughs> um, but I was just over the moon with a lot of the younger blokes. Oscar Allen, six marks and three goals. Liam Duggan, seventeen touches, eight marks, and really great run from centre half back. Plus the likes of Tom Cole, Brandon Archie, Jake Waterman, and Jermaine Jones. So Nick Nat was brilliant. Uh, you would expect him to be against a makeshift ruck. But yeah, once he figured out the uh, the areas to tap, he was unstoppable. But again, the, the soft tissue injuries. Luke Shuey looks one to two weeks, they've said at this stage. Um, and Jermaine Jones also did a hammy. And I guess the Swans have to sweat on Lewis Melican's groin injury as well. So Oh, just, yeah. I mean, he's not as big as some of the other players we've lost. but You need, you need someone, though. But, but also the skill errors were just poor. The, the field kicking's been really poor, and we just can't kick a winning score. Yep. So I made the joke that we need to sticky tape Papley to Ben Rock to create a Ruckman. But then we wouldn't have Papley up forward to then kick to. we'd have to. to do the clone, yep. Yeah, yep. so we'd have to clone. The, the interesting one from this for me was Lewis Jetta was dropped for the matchup against his old team. And funnily enough, Callum Sinclair, the player he was traded for, also missed because he has a knee injury. And hey, we don't need any bigs. Exactly. 
So we'll go back to the uh, the Jack Redden incident. So on a scale of one to Andrew Gaff, how lucky is Jack Redden? Oh, Gaff-like. I, I heard on the radio this morning, Benny Cameron on 720 was saying that it was like an open hand slap or something. Like he was he was downplaying it. Like it, was that, a, that, it was a fist. There's that no was, that was a broken jaw situation waiting to happen. Yep. The only saving grace for him and Joey Kennedy's chin after playing his 250th was the fact he missed. Mm. Very lucky. Very true. Very lucky. Um, and I know you actually mentioned you think the Swans might be a very good candidate for the Wooden Spoon this year. Look, a mate was saying this at the pub. He said the Wooden Spoon's between Adelaide, Frio and the Swans. I said, no, no, it's Adelaide. And I still believe it will be Adelaide. But look, it's possible. We, Like I say, the field kicking's not good and we just don't seem to be able to kick a winning score. Mm. Anyway, enough said about that. Let's move on now to uh, to Geelong and Gold Coast. In a really important game for the Cats with not only Gary Ablett Jr. playing his 350th, but Joel Selwood playing his 300th. So it was a massive game for the Cats and all the reason for them to get up. And sure enough, they did against the Hot Suns who have come back down to earth a little 89-52 down in Geelong. Yeah, I don't think this one's quite as bad as it seemed for Gold Coast. If you look at their last five visits to Geelong, five losses and an average of 87 points. So 37's a bit of an improvement. We've got to remember, they actually led by nine points early in the third quarter. They actually were still only down by nine late in the quarter as well. So just a couple of unfortunate 50-meter penalties that resulted in goals to Gary Rowan and Asava Radigalia. So it kind of gave Geelong a little bit of a break. And the Suns just ran out of gas and got smoked in the last quarter probably due to the, that nasty dislocated shoulder to uh, Matt Rell, who looks like he's going to be out for a long period of time. So, But yeah, Geelong just looked better in, and, and a lot more ready to play this week. That's sad about Rowell, isn't it? Oh, you know, after all that, uh, he must have at least nine Brownlow votes, but maybe more. Yeah, uh, the, the, the Brownlow hopes would now nearly be dashed. Oh, you'd think so. I mean, he'll probably miss a little bit of time with that, but just a lot of... As I say, a lot of areas that Geelong were, were better in the game. They were plus 71 in possessions, plus 21 inside 50s, plus 16 in marks, 12 to 6 in tackles inside 50. Just look, And Gold Coast actually won the free kick count 22 to 11. So Mitch Duncan, brilliant, 25 touches. Sam Manangola, 23 and a goal. Joel Selwood, 22 and, and so on and so forth. It just The list keeps going on. So I will just quickly mention a touch of class from Selwood and Abbott after the game going up to Raul and checking on him. I mean... It would be easy for them to just think about themselves on a day like that, but to go in and check on him, and I'm pretty sure Ablett said to reach out to him if he, he wants help. Because I'd actually forgotten about the Ablett shoulder injury from 2014. Um, and the Gold Coast connection, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that was the year that Gary was carrying the Suns. 32 touches a game that year. They were 9-6 and six when Ablett went down, went 1-6 one, one and six the rest of the season. Well, I dare say he wasted his prime at he, the Gold he Coast. He probably did. Do you, do you remember, though, he polled 22 votes in that Brownlow, even missing... 40% of the season and only finished four votes off the win. Wow. Which is just nuts. So, yeah, I mean, what, is, what do you reckon this means for the Gold Coast season? Like, they've got Melbourne and Sydney the next fortnight all going well. So. Well, they, they better hope Raul isn't out too long because I think he's probably the... When Raul goes, they go. And if he's not around... Granted, they're playing a very good team and Melbourne and Sydney are very winnable games. So maybe we'll see, we'll see what happens after them and we'll have a pretty good idea of where they're at. Yeah, I think you make a good point. And then on Saturday night, what kind of promised to be two really good games turned into two kind of little fizzes. At Marvel, we had the Bulldogs 87 defeating the Kangaroos 38. Yeah, the dogs just keep on rolling. They're third on the trot. It feels like the purple patch they hit just before the 2016 final series. And it makes it even scarier seeing Josh Bruce find his kicking boots with six of the best. It was kind of like the dogs toyed with North in the first half and just kind of decided at halftime to start playing. Kind of like, you know, when you play sport against a kid brother and you put the foot down when you need to. So, yeah, 15 to 6 marks inside 50, again, largely because of Josh Bruce. Plus 67 in uncontested possessions as well was huge. So, a lot of great players. Tim English was fantastic. He really of, was. Yeah. I'm a big rep for Tim yep. English. Yep, I'm proud to say that I, I called that early on him. He, yep. He's been brilliant. Yep. I mean, Goldstein won the hitouts, but uh, but the Dogs actually won the clearances. So, yeah, they were able to use the uncontested ball to just control the game. Top seven possession getters were all Bulldogs players as well. So When they have that many uncontested, it's not that surprising. Yeah, Bontempelli didn't even have a good game either, so he was below average. But yeah, look, Jai Simpkin was brilliant. Todd Goldstein was good, but uh, I think Ben Cunnington is the big worry for me. He's he's not been right with a back for quite a while now, and he, he tried to gut his way through it, but um, it just it just wasn't a great sort of thing. We'll, again, we'll talk about that in a second, but not a great game if you enjoy your short-term memory. 
So Bailey Smith and Latham Vandermeer for the Dogs and Taryn Thomas from the Roos all went off with concussions. Thankfully, no soft tissue issues this game, though. So Now, I'll pose two questions to you, Nate. The first one, if you were starting a franchise today, does anyone have a more exciting young nucleus than the Bulldogs? Good question. Maybe GWS. Okay. They're a bit more experienced. Maybe a little bit more, yeah. But, but geez, the Bulldogs would be up there. It'd be hard, yeah. The Bulldogs would be up there. I think at full strength, yeah, they'd probably be just ahead of the uh, the Suns for me. They just they look so good. And going back to Ben Cunnington, what are your thoughts on that? Like, if, if you're not 100%, do you try and gut it out for the team as a leader, or do you allow someone to actually take your spot who's fit? This is a tricky one, isn't it? These sort of questions can probably only be answered by the team and the teammates. If he's the sort of bloke that really lifts everyone, then maybe he should be playing. But when we're in a season where they're not training full contact with the entire squad, there are different training and preparations going on than a normal season. Maybe you need everyone fit 100%. Mm, Yeah, I agree. You're moving on to the Brisbane-Port Adelaide game. Jeez, if it was a bit of back to reality for the Suns, this was a huge dose for the power after essentially being pants by the Lions, who all of a sudden look like it's their turn to take the Premiership favourite spot. Absolutely. I think in an 85-48 to win at the Gabba, the Lions looked very impressive indeed, and uh, I thought it was going to be match of the round, but they won comfortably. We were down at the Inglewood. I was sitting between two very socially distanced televisions, one showing the Bulldogs-Kangas game and the other showing the Lions-Power game, so I had an eye on both games for pretty much the entirety of both. Uh, Jeez, the Lions look sharp. Mm, they did. This one was all about the second quarter. Five goals in nine minutes after quarter time. And you go from a one-point game to a 31-point game in that period of time. It's it's not great. But, um, yeah, look, most of the stats were actually pretty even through the game. Brisbane just did more going inside 50. That was, honestly, most of the long and short of it. Lockie Neal's probably moved into an unbackable Brownlow favourite now. He was amazing again. 29 touches, seven clearances and a goal. Jared Lyons was great. Daniel Rich, Jared Berry, Hugh McCluggage, all the usuals that I talk about every week. But uh, Charlie Cameron. Yep, Charlie Cameron as well. So, But, uh, geez, after being otherworldly last week, only six touches from Charlie Dixon and five from Justin Westhoff. No goals between them. Charlie Dixon was looking like Stewie Lowe last week. Yep. That Marks package was magnificent. And it was a good round for Screamers too, i got to say. For all the ills of the AFL season, there's been plenty of really good marks yep. this, this year. Unfortunately, though, he uh, ended up looking like me this week. So not not particularly great. Um, another calf injury as well, Cameron ellis Yolman. Um, so a bit of a, a sour note for Brisbane. So question, can we allow Port this one bad game? Surely oh, we can. Absolutely. In yep. a short season like this, it's yep. easy to overreact. And yep. This thing shouldn't be such a big deal, I wouldn't think, should it? I agree 100%. I, th- I think that these teams, given Collingwood's woes, these teams are probably the two teams to beat at the moment. Maybe Geelong knocking on the door GWS a little. As well, who Maybe GWS who are starting to pick up a little. Oh, look, if I'm a Port fan, I'm not too worried. Nah. It's a blip on the radar. In the Battle of the Bottoms, J-Lo became the first rookie coach to get his win over Matty Nix when the Dockers 54 defeated the Crows 34 at Metricon in what was not a spectacular game, but a good game for Dockers fans. I really think this game was a lot like a really thick mullet. 10% of it was pretty good, but the other 90% of it was just horrendous. <laughs> good on J-Lo, yeah, for getting his first win. That is, that is fantastic, but this was truly hard to watch. Um, Adelaide will feel a bit disappointed they didn't win the game, considering how badly they took their set shots from 20 to 30 out. Andrew Brayshaw, he was outstanding on a day when a lot of people had trouble holding onto the ball. Best on ground for me. Easily, yep. easily. David Mundy was his usual dependable Yes, self. second best on yeah. ground. And Darcy Tucker was great too. I thought he probably got the one vote, but no surprises for Adelaide. The Crouch boys racked up the touches and Rory Laird featured heavily, I guess, in the possessions. But thank God I don't ever have to watch that game again. i got to say though, it doesn't matter if they racked up the touches. The, the, what are they doing The, with the field kicking was appalling by yep. the Crows. And funnily enough, it was the veterans and the star players... Sloan, Laird, the Crouch brothers, they were making very uncharacteristic mistakes. And, geez, if, if your top players aren't firing, probably is Wooden Spoonsville for them. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so confused as to how the Crows can be so crap. They look decent on paper. I, I just don't know what the hell's up with them. Tex Walker's fallen off a cliff too. Yeah, it's, I think it's just a culture issue, unfortunately. So, What could be the last game at the MCG all season? The Tigers were back in the winner's circle with a 79-52 victory over the Melbourne Demons. Yeah, I, th- I think like with the Sydney game playing West Coast back into form, it appears that Melbourne may have done the same to Richmond, possibly. And with Sydney and North over the coming fortnight, Richmond may just be back. Or they might not. 
More on that in a minute, though. Well, yes. But uh, look, let's start with Melbourne, though. God, they were frustrating to watch. They showed glimpses of their 2018 team that made a prelim, but their ball entering 50 was just horrible, to the point where Brad Green actually tweeted that a collective mind camp would be better than watching Melbourne's inside 50 entries. Jeez. Ouch. But Richmond, on the other hand, they had no issues at all. They, they just seemed to pinpoint players at will. So, yeah, 59% efficiency inside the forward 50, which is a really high number. So... It's Richmond just did more with the ball than Melbourne did, really. Um, Kane Lambert was fantastic. Best on ground for me. 27 touches and three goals. And just a really even spread. Nine Tigers between 17 and 20 touches. So did a really great job. Tom Lynch was great before he busted his finger. I mean, Max Gorn was good for uh, good for the Ds. And Christian Petrarca and Clayton Oliver were, were pretty good. But just things don't look great for the Demons. They could be heading towards a bottom two or three finish again. And they've got to move into state as well, so... The Lynch broken finger one's big. Potentially, yeah. There's talk he's going up to the hub, though, so... Yeah, no, I saw that. Yeah, it I don't know if okay. it's the right decision, but, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, there's some Richmond players that aren't going to the hub. But they're for good reasons. Basher Hawley's not going because he's, his wife just had a child and he wants to be there for them, which I think is great, so... Um, but honestly, for me, the, the big talking point from this is the injuries. This is the thing that could potentially stop Richmond in their tracks, so... You had Toby Nankervis and Dion Prestia did ankles. Prestia's looked really serious the way he was almost inconsolable on the bench. Very important player for them. Very. Trent Cochin did a hammy. Another very important player. Yep. So And then Tom Lynch, we mentioned, sort of busted a finger. So you combine that with the talk about, obviously, with Basher Hawley not going. I think Shane Edwards isn't going either. There, there could be some uncertainty for them. Are you concerned for the Tigers with them losing all these players, or does their schedule get them through? They've got some pretty easy games coming up. I think the Tigers are apathetic and I think that they've decided that this isn't a proper season. I I think some of their issues are mental, to be honest. And I think some people are questioning their heart and their fight. Jeez, I'll tell you what, there'll be a lot of teams that'll be happy to take an asterisk premiership, that's for sure. Well, I mean, the asterisk talk is continuing in many ways in many different sports. I, I still find it weird that it's a dirty word. Asterisks should just mean different. It doesn't necessarily mean wrong or bad. It just means different. And like I say, the mental toughness and resilience, you'll earn your premiership. Whatever team it is, they will earn it. And then finally, in our last game for the round, Stewie, in what was maybe a little careful what you wish for, after Clarko going on about holding the ball infringements, his team was penalised 10 times against the GWS in a 83-49 defeat at Giants Stadium. According to Champion Data Statistics reported by AFL.com.au, there were 91 holding the ball free kicks in round five, up from an average of 60 in the opening four rounds. Yep, 10-2 to two was the holding the ball decisions. So Clarko definitely got what he wished for, but uh, that's two holding the ball decisions in 118 tackles over two weeks for Hawthorne. So wow. I wonder if he'll maybe hold his tongue this week. Now look, what better way to back up that huge win against Collingwood last week than smashing Hawthorne? probably doing it in the, one of the weirdest fashions imaginable. They played Hawthorne's game to a tee, and they probably had one of the most historically efficient games ever. A few numbers to talk about. GWS just used uncontested possession to their advantage all game. Plus 82 in possessions, plus 67 in uncontested. 120 to 58 in the marks. Wow. Amazing. And the result of that was every time the Giants brought the ball inside 50, they just looked like they'd score, and they nearly did. They actually ended up finishing the game with between 25 and 26. There's Some people are saying 25 inside 50, some are saying 26, but it's splitting hairs. 18 scoring shots and one out of bounds on the full. So it's in the 70% in terms of scoring shots from inside 50s. I haven't been able to find it, but that probably has to be the lowest amount in a win. I had a look. The, the lowest 40 recorded inside 50 totals were all losses. So Well, again, they're not... playing 16 less minutes a game, True. so we can only kind of compare the stats so much. Oh, of but... course. I mean, I extrapolated it, and it still would, would have been in that top 40. So it's absolutely nuts. Have a guess what the lowest inside 50s recorded in a match was. 15? Pretty close, 17. Okay. Brisbane versus Frio in round 14 of 2004. Two weeks before Gary Ablett's shoulder injury as well. Ah, so there, there you go. go. Bring it but, full um, circle. Now look, stars all over the field for the Giants. 30 touches and 12 marks for Josh Kelly. 28 and 11 for Harry Perriman. 28 and 10 for Lockie Whitfield. Just a brilliant effort, honestly. They were. Um, Nick Haynes was sensational again as well. He's, I think he's pushing for All-Australian the way he's going as well. And just a magnificent eight goal straight from Jeremy Finlayson and Harry Himmelberg. So O'Meara, Mitchell and Gunston were all good for the Hawks, but they just didn't have enough help. And then to round out an average day for the Hawks, more injuries. Mitch Lewis did a hamstring. Jack Scrimshaw has an undisclosed foot injury. So 
It's, uh, it's not looking great. I suppose uh, question time. I said last week to you that I thought GWS would make the grand final this year, and I honestly think they're going to win the whole thing. They can catch Port while they're vulnerable next week, and then they get Brisbane at home. What do you reckon of the Giants for Premiers this year? Yeah, why not? I was big on them early. I overreacted when they sputtered out of the gates, maybe focusing too much on the players they'd lost, like Dylan Shield. They still have a magnificent list, as I said before. If you were starting with any team, you'd maybe want their list. Giants, Brisbane, and Port, the three best teams in the comp at the moment. Yep. One of the, the other things I noticed was Jeremy Cameron floating up the field a little bit, kind of almost playing on a flank, I guess, which was really interesting. His vision is really underrated, and he's got a fantastic boot on him. Does GWS have a more dangerous forward structure with Finlayson and Himmelberg, with Cameron floating up the field, do you reckon? Well, they have flexibility. That's what's really useful for them. So they can play him out of the square, they can play him at centre-half forward, they can play him on the wing. Gee, they're dangerous. They really are. And then finally, Shuey, some cricket news before we wrap up. And this is fairly fresh news, so we don't have a lot of detail at this time, but we'll have more next week. It looks like the T20 World Cup will be postponed and the IPL as well. Yeah, probably no major surprise there, but God, more cricket lost. I know, I miss my cricket. More top-end T20, mate. We're going to have to live with more top-end T20. We'll have to. So that wraps us up for this week. As we always conclude, Shuey, what are you amped for? Well, after the delight of having footy back for a month and after we've just spoken about cricket, funnily enough, I'm actually excited to potentially see some cricket back on the air with a West Indian tour of England kicking off in two days for the Brown Onions Cup in honour of West Indian batsman Snuffy Brown and English bowler Graham Onions. Come on the Windies. (laughs) I spent a lot of time looking at funny player names. There's actually some really interesting names that you could also use for that trophy. You could have the Legal Root Trophy. (laughs) For uh, Ralph Legal and Joe Root. The Ball Holder for Jake Ball and Jason Holder. <laughs> the Black Crap for Marlon Black and Jack Crap. Oh, after Guinness. Yep. The uh, the Small Saggers for <laughs> Joe Small and Martin Saggers. Or the Fuller Saggers for <laughs> Dickie Fuller and Martin Saggers. So a lot of really great names you could use there. Also, there was an English test player in the late 1800s named Harry Butt. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> well, I'm just glad that you didn't bring up Ryan Ramdas from uh, Guyana. Oh, geez, that could have <laughs> could have gone a dangerous direction. But it's shades of some old famous commentary when England were playing the Windies and Michael Holding was facing Peter Willey and the commentator said the batsman's holding the bowler's willy. <laughs> Never gets old, does it? Your old man told us that story when we were about 12. Probably told us that a hundred times. But, um, I'm also stoked to see ODIs between Pakistan and the Netherlands for the Rippon Maboob trophy. Michael Rippon and Shahid Maboob. Um, a couple of others that you could use there. Butt Reekers trophy for Salman Butt and Darren Reekers. Or Butt's Wart for Salman Butt and Michael Swart. So that's what I'm out for. How about yourself? Uh, Well, there's some good AFL games on the Thursday and the Friday night to kick off the round. But I think on Sunday, the fixture between Port and GWS may be the best game of the round. Time will tell, Stewie. Until next week, I am Nathan. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.